0: Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Hi, this is Dr. John Townsend, and you're listening to LifeGiver. Hi, this is Taya Kyle, and you're listening to LifeGiver. Hey, this is Dr. Les Parrott, and you're listening to Life LifeGiver. Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is Corey Weathers. If you are listening to the podcast for the very first time, I want to say welcome. And if you are a serving family, meaning you are a first responder, veteran, or military family listening, Um, I just want to say welcome, Um, but also that this episode is going to be different from the typical LifeGiver episodes. Usually, I am speaking to you guys and encouraging your marriages and your family, your parenting through interviews and conversations, but the biggest request that I got recently was how do I, meaning how do service families better communicate with their external family members on the lifestyle and how it's changed them and shaped them. So today's episode is actually me talking specifically to external family members who might be civilians. Maybe you don't have a lot of experience in the first responder world or the military world, and maybe you've noticed some changes in your family, your serving family. Um, and so, I'm going to be speaking directly to you guys, and this is going to actually be a two part episode. So, today we're going to be talking about um, what the community is and how it has shaped maybe your family members. Um, and then the next episode is going to be some more practical tips on how you can close the gaps and communicate better and have some of those tough conversations. So, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, um, you knew this was coming in the previous episode. This whole series is on family dynamics and how how we can build those relationships, and how we can communicate better. And you knew this was coming, maybe you've been excited for it to come out. Um, I know it can seem like a long time between episodes as I put them out on the 1st and 15th of every month. If you didn't know that, there's a clue for you. Um, So easy to remember, payday for military, 1st and 15th, that's why I do it. So, um, And I would love to put out episodes every week, but I am actively counseling and coaching military and first responder couples throughout the week, and so there is not enough time in my day, and I do not have a team. It is only me doing all of this, and so that's why I put it out the 1st and 15th of every month. So to transition, when I say you in this episode, I'm referring to you family members, external family members. So um, let me give you some kind of working definitions as before we start, just to clear up any confusion. Um, so when I say you, I am talking to mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, cousins, best friends, um, civilians, typically, those of you who... Um, have maybe not served as a first responder family or a military family, but your son or daughter or whoever this um, serving member of your family has accepted this call to serve their country or community and perhaps gone on to build a family of their own. And so I'm going to that's who I'm speaking to today. Now you're going to hear some other words that I say um, in reference to um, different people in the family. So for example, any first responder or service member, I typically, typically call the serving spouse because otherwise I'm saying first responder, military, veteran over and over and over again. So it's easier for me to just say the um, serving spouse and I have the supporting spouse. So the supporting spouse is typically that military spouse at home the first responder spouse at home and I do say at home because many of them do stay from home it doesn't mean that they don't work many of them work um, but they typically support their serving spouse and feel like their life kind of revolves around that career and so that's why I use supporting it doesn't mean that they're not working and not doing their own thing But um, that they have to kind of support the career and they have to kind of revolve around that career, which I'm sure you guys have probably seen by now. So when I say serving spouse, that's who I'm referring to, supporting spouse. And then, of course, we have you, the family members. And so if I'm not perfect in this interview, I are in this episode, I hope that you will be graceful with me. Um, I think you will find that the overall theme of these next two episodes, actually the whole series, is grace. How do we extend better grace to each other? I really picture this whole series as um, everybody kind of coming to the table and having that sit-down conversation that's not easy to have with each other, but... We have to somehow, you know, be truthful and honest and authentic about um, what's going on in our lives and somehow kind of reach across the table and, and hold hands at some point and say, my life is different from your life and that that's okay. We're still family. We still love each other. We still have a great desire to understand each other and that we want to at least just we want to start to bridge that divide. That is my overall goal of um, these episodes. And so I'd love to hear back from you guys and hear your feedback if that's helpful or if anything that I'm covering is helpful or if you have seen any changes, hopefully good ones in your family dynamics because of these episodes so i think you're also going to find that i do my best to provide a balanced approach to both sides so before we even get going family members you may feel a little bit on edge and think that i'm only going to be sticking up for the serving family side and if you listen to the episode before this one I think you'll hear that a lot of what I'm asking them to do is also extend grace to you to understand that there's a lot for them to understand about what's going on in your world as well and that at no point should we be entering into the relationship or the conversation with entitlement saying everything has to change because of me. So I don't think that's a very healthy way to have conversations. So I think you're going to hear or at least I'm gonna do my best to offer both perspectives. And um, I would encourage you to listen to the entire series because my efforts at balancing the conversation is going to take this entire series to do. So the last episode, I really was speaking to serving families about how they could extend more grace and be more patient with you. And then of course, I've got this episode and the next episode that's specifically talking to you family members. And then I have some other episodes that will help hopefully balance that out as well. So I think you're going to hear um, hopefully that balance. Also, if you are listening from the Life Giver app, which is free by the way, and I would encourage family members to consider um, downloading the app, it is all episodes are you can find the podcast on the app where you can hear these episodes and really get that inside education in a very real way of what a lot of our families go through. Um, And there's also resources that are extremely helpful to you as well. So a lot of the resources that I recommend on the app aren't specific um, just to service families. They are specific to marriage and family dynamics and ways that you can improve yourself as a whole. A lot of the books and different resources that are there on the app. So a little bit about me. I am a military spouse. My husband is an active duty army chaplain. We are currently um, moving all the time. We have two boys that are 10 and 13. Um, I'm also a licensed professional counselor. We didn't always think that we were going to be in the military, but once we came into this lifestyle, I knew that I needed to and that I wanted to really invest my career of counseling and serving serving families. My husband's dad is a retired police officer and his father was a retired police officer. So we have a huge heart for serving families as a whole. Um, Later on, after we came into the military, I was given the award of um, Armed Forces Insurance Military Spouse of the Year for 2015 for our efforts in um, really investing in service marriages. And that opened up a whole big, wonderful world of um, conversations and opportunities to travel. I've been to Japan and to New York and to Bragg and to next month I'm going to Washington State um, to invest in military families, and I thoroughly enjoy doing that. I also traveled with the Secretary of Defense overseas to visit with deployed troops over there to see what deployment conditions were like, as well as talking with them about what they felt like family members did not understand. I did that in 2015 and got to visit Iraq, two places in Iraq, actually, Afghanistan turkey and also the persian gulf where i was on um, some ships out on the ocean so um, i from that i wrote the book sacred spaces which a lot of families um it's actually sacred spaces my journey to the heart of military marriage but what we're finding is that military and first responder couples are getting a lot out of the book and i don't mean that as a self-promotion um, my purpose in writing the book was to say the things out loud that I think a lot of service families don't often say out loud. I was hearing it behind confidential doors in counseling, and I really felt like I needed to be the first one to start saying these things out loud that we were really struggling with, and also giving some movement forward so that we can be moving in a healthy direction. And so I think a lot of families are really appreciating that conversation in the book sacred spaces and would highly recommend you picking up the book as well um, because it really does a great job of helping you see not just the lifestyle and what it's like but really the inner workings of that lifestyle and i think you're going to find yourself in the pages of the book as well because it's a very raw vulnerable story um, of Matt and I in our experience of several deployments, but also um, the experience his mom had with my husband coming home different because of this lifestyle, um, how I healed parts of my relationship with my dad um, when he was a retired Air Force pilot and how I didn't understand that growing up. So there's a lot of family dynamics at, at play in the book as well that I think you would find yourself on the pages of that book as well. So I would definitely encourage you to pick that up if you find that it's helpful. So, enough about me. I, let's dive into today's topic, which is understanding the service lifestyle and um, maybe pointing out some of the reasons why your serving family member may have gone through some changes. Um, maybe they're great changes, maybe they're not so great changes because of the lifestyle that they serve. And I think, you know, a lot of military spouses especially have told me that they really struggle with this because they go home, whether it is their family of origin or their spouse's family of origin, and they suddenly feel that difference. They feel like I've gone through something significant and I'm struggling because my family doesn't understand me and I don't know how to tell them what's changed. And so in order for me to have this healthy conversation or at least encourage you to have this healthy conversation, I felt like there's a couple things that we have to talk about first. We have to talk about what actually changes us, um, what impacts that change. And I felt like there might be a lot of family members out there that don't understand the culture um, because we coming in, we serving families coming into the culture, might see initially the difference of the community but we go through a lot of subtle changes um, that are hard to describe and so some of the changes you may have seen in your family your serving family um, may have been subtle over time but by the time you see them at christmas it's kind of overwhelming to see those changes now i know the biggest question i get is what if my serving spouse Um, is struggling with PTSD or has triggers or is more irritable or anxious than they used to be prior to service, And trying to explain that to family members, like whether or not it's severe, whether it's not, this is just who he is now, um, how to handle that during a visit. Um, So I do get questions like that. And that is going to be covered in the next episode because I felt like there were some things that we need to cover first today before we have that conversation. But I want you to know that we are going there. We are going to address if you have experienced... Um, Seeing your serving family member go through something significant and they're different and you're having a hard time relating to them or knowing how to serve them or connect with them, that is my overall goal is to help you with that, help you understand maybe what's going on and what you can do so you don't feel like every time you visit or every time they visit you, you're walking on eggshells. So that is my goal. It's a big goal, but I think that we can at least start the conversation. So Um, five things then, five things that, um, that change us when we enter into the service lifestyle and I want to point those out to you. Um, and you know, I also, I know I keep saying I'm going to go into it and then I give a caveat, but one more thing I think is important before we go into this is that let's admit before we go in there, before we go into this content, let's admit that change is inevitable for all of us. And I know full well that you guys have gone through significant life events that have changed you, have shaped you, have shaped your character, and in a lot of ways have made you a better person. And change is inevitable for all of us. And it's not okay for any of us in any community to enter into another community and expect that other community to revolve or bend completely to us. There is a a better process of conversation and um, reintegration, which is a big word for a military when we have, a, you know, somebody's been on a deployment and they come home and it's these two worlds that have to somehow kind of mesh and collide and find a new normal and I think that's true for military families and civilians as well at no point should we be coming in and and demanding that from civilians and so if somebody if your family has done that to you then I'm so sorry Um, sometimes we're just all doing the best we can which is why the last episode is really important if you'd like to go back and listen to that how valuable that is but I think about other communities who have been shaped and changed just as much. I often think about the medical community, and maybe it's because I work with so many first responders who are EMS, workers who respond to medical crisis i work with military members that are medics um, so it's kind of a blending of those two cultures Um, but i think of surgeons and doctors and those that are really on the front lines of medicine that are exposed to death that are exposed to crises and disappointment and um, the stress of that lifestyle and there's no doubt that that also changes a person so um, Similarly, my sister is married to an NFL player. And when I watch from afar, she is single-momming it a lot. Like, he has gone playing games, um, and he's gone frequently with trainings and um, his job to be a great football player. And um, every time he goes out on the field, you better believe that my sister is concerned about his safety, that he could come home different. He could come home with a concussion or TBI or or breaking a leg or something that could really impact them for the rest of their lives, much less their job, career, and their income. So I think that it's good for us to recognize that we all kind of have our own community and we all can be shaped by that community. It's really a matter of how do we reintegrate together and have those conversations. And I think that's really important for us military families to remember that as well. Okay, no joking. This time we are getting into the top five ways that military or first responder lifestyles change your family member. So here's the number one. This community is very, very much like its own country. So just a minute ago, I said we have all of these communities within the American culture, and that is true. So I'm going to be specifically talking about how is the military and first responder community unique. Um, so just like another country, I often think about coming into the military culture was like going to Africa and like living with this tribe and having to learn the tribe's ways, and and then eventually becoming part of that tribe myself And my brother who is um, extremely brilliant and is fluent in several languages once said to me, "You know that you are fluent in a foreign language when you are thinking in that language instead of thinking in English. So in his brain when he is thinking about what is he going to do today, what is his schedule, when he can hear that in his mind in spanish first and not english he knows that he's fully fluent and i think that's the same thing when we enter into the military culture especially because it's got a different language it's got rules and regulations there's certain ways of doing things there's certain clothes that you wear Um, there's a lifestyle it's also got a unique rank system and that rank system In some ways, first responder has this as well, but that rank system is not just about the authority of who's the boss of who. That rank system impacts the entire family. So even though we joke within the military spouse community that we don't like when military spouses wear their husband's rank, There is at least respect between military spouses when they come across a spouse, a a military spouse whose husband outranks their husband. There is great wisdom that comes from that. You're considered an elder and a mentor. Um, You're respectful in a different way to that person because in some ways her husband is your husband's boss. And also within the rank system, there's lots of regulations of what you can and can't do, even how you socialize. And the best way I can sum this up is that the reason for that is really it comes down to safety. Because if somebody is outranking another soldier, when you get on the battlefield and you need to be able to give an order to that person to complete a mission for a certain reason... Um, You need to be able to give that order and it not necessarily be coming from a friend. It needs to come from an authority and then that order, you know, be executed very quickly. And so the rank system even impacts the entire community in how we relate and how we socialize. And even though military spouses really do struggle with that, um, there are certain obstacles that we come across frequently where even though we would love to invite this person over for dinner or we'd love to sell this item from our house, to somebody else who might need it. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes there are regulations that keep us from doing that because there's a certain order and way we do things. And if you follow the rabbit hole um, of regulations, usually it's because it's keeping people safe. But I will tell you that when I first drove on to Fort Carson's installation for our first assignment as a military family, that was something I really struggled with because it felt like there was such incredible segregation on post between the enlisted families and the officer families. And today is not the best day to have that debate on why and should we and all that. But as it stands right now and has, and the way it's been for a long time, that kind of separateness Um, is really because of the rank system and keeping people safe and being able to have the military execute the way that it needs to execute. But that can be very different for you as family members when you come to visit an installation and see that things are so separate and different and everybody treats each other different and why can't we do this or that. Um, Just know that your serving family comes up against a lot of these obstacles um, that we can't do things for certain reasons. Um, in fact, even this past week, I wanted to make some baked goods for some of the students that my husband is teaching right now. And, you know, we asked to see if that was possible. And it's not, it's against regulations because of that teacher to student um, relationship. And in the civilian world, you know, it's not a big deal to to give in that way. So that's something that even I continue to bump up against and is important for you guys to know as family members. Before I wrap up this one on community though, I also want to point out that for both first responders and military, coming into this community is like a rite of passage. It's a very sacred thing. Um, you are signing up not just because you're, you're willing to sacrifice your life, but it is something that usually people sign up because it's something that they believe in. It's a value that they hold very dear. The communities are very grounded in values. Um, you think of the first responder culture where it's grounded in the values of law and integrity and right and wrong. And we do things because something was done right or wrong. And in the military, there is a lot of that too. But in the military, we say things like there's loyalty and integrity and responsibility. And everything that we do is ground in by our values. And so people come in as a rite of passage. And as you the longer you stay in, the more respect you gain. And um, perhaps you've had your especially military member If they're new to the military and have not deployed yet, you may have heard from them that they're anxious to deploy. They're excited to deploy, and that might throw you a little bit because who would want to deploy and go to a war zone? But in the military, you know, we have what's called, I think it says, a, a, oh, I wish I could remember the phrase of it, but basically um, on your shoulder, on your arm, there is a place for a patch that shows whether or not you have deployed or not. And if you have no patch, it means you've not deployed. But once you put that patch on, that is like a rite of passage that you have deployed and you have had a chance to do what you're trained to do. And there is deep respect that comes with the fact that you've deployed. So there's a lot of service members that really go through a lot of anxiety if they keep getting assignment after assignment and not deploying because anybody can look at their arm or the the lack of stripes on their sleeve that nice dress uniform and see whether or not that person has deployed or not Um, and that is kind of a way of sizing people up and that happens in the military and so with all of this comes like a sacredness And that's something that I think you would really get from the book Sacred Spaces that Matt and I started to use the word sacred, started to use the term sacred spaces to imply anything that um, is so set apart, like a life-changing moment for you that is set apart, meaning different from your ordinary experience of life. Like it changed you and probably changed you because it was a multi-sensory event. And those of you who are listening... Um, think of like uh, when you maybe when you birthed a child, or maybe a, a moment when God showed up right at the right moment, or when community showed up right when you needed it, or maybe it was the loss of somebody really important to you. It was a multi sensory moment that altered your life for the rest of your life. And it seems like no matter how you talk about it, and no matter how you try to explain it to somebody they don't quite get it and they don't quite understand why it's this meaningful to you and they can't share it with you because they, they weren't there and they can't crawl into that place in your mind and experience it with you. And so therefore it becomes sacred, meaning It's set apart, like it's special. Um, There's that scripture about don't throw your pearls before swine. It's it's those pearls that you hold dear because maybe you've tried to tell them about it before and somebody didn't understand or maybe they half listened and you walked away going, man, why did I even open my mouth? That's such like a life-changing moment in my life and I feel like I just threw it out and it was trampled on. I'm never doing that again. That's what I mean by sacred spaces. And so for many of your family members, your serving family members, they've had, just like you, very big, big sacred space moments in their life, whether it was during a deployment, um, the serving spouse experiencing combat or intense community with his battle buddies during deployment, or maybe it was the, the supporting spouse at home who was stretched farther than she's ever been stretched in her life but still survived it, a kind of sacred space for her or maybe she went through a miscarriage and she had to get through it by herself, but she did, that's a sacred space. And so just like you have sacred spaces, these military and first responder families have also had significant sacred spaces. And the issue is not whether or not you fully understand their sacred space, but I think where we reach across the table and kind of hold hands and acknowledge each other and listen to each other is where we go, I may not understand fully what your sacred space is and what it was like to go through that, but I do understand what it's like to have a sacred space and I'm willing to respect yours. I'm willing to tread lightly and I'm willing to listen because we're also you're also going to be asking that of them hopefully. But that you're willing to listen and kind of um, be protective of that which is hard to understand and so the community itself this tribe if you will changes a person and they really can't genuinely um, survive in this lifestyle if they haven't assimilated and actually become a tribe member and i would almost say it's kind of like a death to self that you kind of let go of a lot of the former ways of doing things because they don't work in the new system. So I have to let go of the fact that I may personally never have a church home because I'm having to find a new church every time we move. And so that's something I have to grieve or figure out how am I going to think of this differently. And so that's kind of just one example of how these family members have had to grieve and let go of things that were important to them in the past Um, so that they could fully um, thrive in this new community that is an entirely different kind of culture. So that was number one. Number two, and this is not going to be a surprise to you either, is how chaotic this lifestyle actually is um, but we may know that but I think we still struggle on this point point. and so um, obviously schedules are chaotic um, military schedules are chaotic we have some families that um, kind of enter into this vortex when they move to an, a, a, an installation and they're there for like nine years and then you've got these other families like our family that seems to move every two years Um, and then of course first responders they're kind of they don't move but they still have very chaotic schedules where the first responder is maybe working two or three days on and then two days off Um, maybe they have a second job and that can even switch and so even their job may switch from first shift to third shift and um, and just because they say that they're get, they get off at five doesn't mean that those first responders don't then need to go to court or do paperwork and so that can get extended and so a lot of the families are in this kind of constant state of crisis um, or constant state of chaos and inconsistency and that has consequences but also results in certain dynamics that i think shape us as well And so um, I think you know that already, Um, but I think that what comes from that and how that impacts your relationship with them is that if you are living a life as a civilian, um, doesn't mean you don't have chaos and doesn't mean that you don't have chaotic schedules, but when you have the ability to plan Christmas dinner six months in advance or when you are able to plan a reunion um, in advance, it can be hard to understand why can't they... Um, commit to that and that's one of the biggest things that I hear from them is I wish that my family members understood that when I say I don't know if I can make it truly actually means I don't know. That it's not something that they should take personally. It doesn't mean that I don't want to be there. It doesn't mean I'd rather not be there. It literally just means I don't know. And so some of them try to commit and say, you can plan on me being there until I tell you that I can't be there. Um, But that might still be confusing to some of you. And I I'm making an assumption here myself, but I think the reason why is um, I would think as a family member, it's easy to say, well, um, maybe your entire family can't commit to being here for Christmas um, or for that family reunion or for 4th of July or whatever, um, but maybe you and the kids, meaning the supporting spouse and the kids could come, and then if your husband has to work, then, you know, he can stay and work, but you guys could commit, right? Right. Um, And while that's technically and logistically true, I wanted to kind of explain some of the dynamics of the community that makes that difficult for the family to actually do that. Um, Every family is different. Everybody has different ways of doing things. And maybe that's why you see kind of an inconsistency in their behavior so that when something really terrible happens in your family, maybe there's a loss in the family that's really important, you will sometimes see that supporting spouse or um, that serving spouse even taking leave and able to get off and suddenly they're able to be there right Um, so I think that that probably comes across confusing but um, a little bit of the explanation why which I think is actually very interesting um, and this is a little bit more of the military spouse world but I'm hearing from first responder families and spouses that this is also true of them as well Is that when you're able to have your family intact because you're so used to the family not being intact that you know everybody kind of circles the wagons and does like family time? So, like, when dad is home and when he can be home we're all gonna be home, we're gonna have family dinner, we might even have game night, and we really are protective of that time when we can be together because it can be taken so easily from us and because schedules can change so easily. So you're gonna see them be a little bit more protective of that time and you've probably seen that after a deployment, um, you've probably seen that um, during you know right after a move or something like that when they're really, really protective just as a metaphor, um, I want to tell you something that I've noticed in the military family culture as a whole that I think is fascinating. Um, Usually during a deployment, Um, what you have, and by the way, first responders go through like a deployment on a daily basis, right? Like um, they're more in a more rapid cycle. They send their spouse out knowing full well that something could happen to that spouse sometime today. So in some ways there's some very huge similarities in that. So during a deployment, a military deployment, especially if you have a big group of service members that have all left together, On the installation, what you normally find is all of the spouses and the children kind of coming out of their homes, getting together, supporting each other, cookouts, I'll take care of your children, you take care of mine, I need to go to the grocery store, and so can you help me and then I'll help you next time. Um, they're getting together for Bible studies and they're going for running clubs and all of the spouses have intense, wonderful community. And maybe you even noticed that your military spouse is coming home for visits, maybe during that time as well. Like, sure, I can come home. No problem. I'm going to pack my bags and I'm going to get there. Um, and so that's usually what happens. What's interesting though, is as soon as that service member comes home, especially if a huge wave of them comes home. Interestingly, interestingly enough, everybody like sucks into their homes and locks the doors, metaphorically speaking, but locks those doors and and it's like the street becomes a ghost town. And the reason for that is that military families very much respect each other's family time because we know it can be taken and because we know that's what's been needed and reintegration is happening and those kids need to bond with their dads and they need that family time and that's in a lot of ways it's done to a fault and we end up having military spouses who go for months and months after a deployment not connecting with those friends that were so supportive and helpful and fulfilling for them Um, and they find themselves really isolated families in general um, feel very isolated in fact i was just counseling a couple last week who is a young couple and they're in the middle of reintegration so he's on leave until he's not even he hasn't even gone back to work yet And they are in the house. They've not had any contact with any other military families, even from his unit. It's just been family time. And they're about to drive each other crazy because they don't know what to do with themselves. They're around each other all the time. And that's so common for us that we become very protective of our family time and kind of close off the world. And that's why you might see after a deployment, they say, don't come and visit yet. We need to have our time to reintegrate. And then we're going to start kind of coming out of our shells again. But that's also why after a, um, or after a deployment, I'm sorry, after a PCS, or after a move, um, you might see them maybe not jumping for a visit or inviting you for a visit because of that. And so, yes, it's true that they are saying, I really don't know if I can be there or if I can't. Um, because they may need to value that time as much as possible. And because if they really are going to kind of play that card and say this significant event happened, I need to take some time off and we need to put forth, um, you know, whatever it takes to get there, um, they can't do it all the time. And so, in fact, for military members, taking leave is an immense amount of paperwork just to apply to get that time off if they're driving a certain distance. So it's a lot of work to make that happen. So that's um that was number two, that their schedules are chaotic, that when they say that they don't know, they really don't know if they can be there because it can change. My husband and I have a phrase, it can all change in a lunch hour. And so that is so true. And it's happened several times. And so... For me personally, I'd rather not commit to something only if I'm gonna have to disappoint you. And so it's much easier for me to say, I really wanna be there, and so if I get to come, surprise, I'll show up. (laughs) Try to give you as much heads up as possible, but it may be at the last minute. So number three, is kind of connected to that, and that is that when they do have to miss events, um, that that's really hard on them. It's not something that they prefer, that if they're missing a wedding, if they're missing a reunion, if they're missing 4th of July, and that's something that you guys always grew up doing together, that is hard for them. They really don't want to miss those events, um, but they feel like a lot of times they have to choose, even if the Um, serving spouses home and able to go and they've had to choose family time or choose you know what our family has been under so much stress lately and there's been so much change and chaos that a trip feels like more chaos. It feels like more stress that we'll come home more tired than we started. Even though we are relationally filled from seeing family, we're now coming home physically fatigued and then going right back into the chaos. You see a lot of families needing to set those boundaries. And so they don't want to miss those events, but sometimes they have to miss those events, even if it's just for self-preservation. And so a lot of them ask me to tell you, that when you can come their way, um, it's really helpful when you can, um, because especially if they have young kids, surely you remember if you had young kids, that it is a lot of energy to make that trip. And so whenever you can come their direction, that might be a little bit easier than um, the other way around. So um, number four, is actually finances. So this was something that they wanted me to share with you in that um, everybody's finances are different and um, there is a misconception that because especially the military pays um, and gives you money for your housing expenses that we are well off. And um, that is not always true. And a lot of that obviously depends on how a family budgets their money. But for a lot of young families, especially um, young military families, just because we're given that money for housing – Um, doesn't mean that they're not paycheck to paycheck we already know that our first responders don't make enough and so many of them go on to second and third jobs my husband grew up um, remembering his his dad working two and three jobs and his mom even working as well to make ends meet and I love the fact that his character is even stronger and so are so the characters of his parents as well because of that experience but we know very well that first responders do not make um, probably definitely what they should Um, but there is that misconception that military well you get money for your housing so you make more money than anybody else so the way that that b-a-h is what we call it the way that it works i'm not going to get into all the details but i just want to let you know that if that family chooses to live on the installation where they have um, access to those resources to help and support their family Um, faster where it's a little bit closer to them. Um, A lot of families we loved when we lived on post because my husband could zip to work, he could even ride his bike to work and then come home at lunch and we would be able to see him more often. Um, But when you choose to live on post, um, they take for whatever housing they give you, regardless of size or whatever, they take your entire BAH payment from you. So they have decided there's a whole, you know, other process of how they decide who makes what. And that BH does go up as you go up in rank to um, account for you needing more space or your children getting older and your needs um, changing But I will tell you that for a lot of families, they find that if they live off post, off the installation, they can um, usually rent or buy a bigger house for that same amount of money versus living on the installation where they just take the whole check entirely. So you may not pay a gas bill, an electric bill, a water bill, um, or your rent, but they just kind of take that whole check and you don't know what what you're actually paying. So that's why they make those choices. But all that to say, Just because they get that BAH doesn't mean that they actually have, um, that they're well off and that they're not living paycheck to paycheck. So remember that as you think of how can you serve them, what are some things that you can do? Things like care packages, things like gift cards, things like, um, you know, a gift card to buy gas or groceries goes so far to some of these families who are living paycheck to paycheck. And by the way, think of, think outside the normal care package idea that, yes, sending a care package for a deployment, a deployed soldier is awesome, but also think about sending those care packages to those military spouses, maybe even a first responder spouse. It will brighten up their day and uh, meet a need for them that takes away a level of stress that can be pretty remarkable. So, and the last one that we're gonna cover today is a big one, and that is that their definition of home has changed. Um, perhaps they've tried to talk with you about this, and perhaps this is another one of those um, kind of sticky conversations, especially if you are a mother or a father to your son or daughter, because home is always going to be home for you where they were raised, or I, w- I want you to come home for Christmas, I want you to come home for Easter, or doesn't it feel good to be at home with your dad and I, or, or however that statement plays out, Um and that's, there's nothing wrong with you saying that, and I'm not asking you to change that, and I think neither are the families asking you to change that phrasing. Again, this is that kind of reaching across the table and finding common ground and understanding how things may have shifted over time. And so home means actually something different, especially to military families. And again, this one is out of necessity. So if we as military families um, keep our brains and our minds focused on home is where my family of origin is. It's where my mom and my dad are. And I do typically still say home when I think of like Atlanta. But what home actually means to me has to mean something different. Because if that is home, then whatever I'm doing with my immediate family, with my husband and my children, has to have a different meaning. And that, and it can't mean a physical location. It can't be attached to a physical location because at any moment we could get orders that says, I have to leave this house that I love so much that I call home. So home, after a while, after especially a few moves, takes on an entirely different meaning and so home then kind of becomes wherever my stuff is wherever we are right so regardless of wherever i move my house i'll set up my house and my plants and it will look the same and i and i will make it home but then very soon you find yourself in a situation where home has to change again and this is kind of the journey of the military family and how they have to adjust their expectations and definitions for things in their life and so what happens is you have many families that move overseas and they go without their belongings for sometimes two to three months waiting for those belongings to show up. Or maybe they, this family goes to Disney World or goes on a cross-country trip and they're stuck in the car for five days trying to get to the next place where they're going to set up that home. And you realize after enough times like that, that home can't mean your things. Home cannot mean your belongings. Home has to take on a different definition because if I don't define it in a different way, I will find myself forever discontent, resentful, um, and misplaced. I will constantly feel like I don't belong if I don't make something else home where I can be wherever I am, if that makes any sense. And so after a while, and I think you might see a lot of military spouses kind of come across a little defensively on this conversation, because it's been such a gut-wrenching process to redefine home in your mind, that at some point you just have to say, home is wherever my family is. Home is where my children are, home is where my husband is, and home is especially when we're all together, which going back to that previous point is like a sacred territory of when we're all together that's home because everything feels incomplete without him here right so when you find yourself driving across country and you don't have your belongings you have to be able to console console a crying child who has left his friend's Um, with something other than, you know, I'm sorry we left your home. Like home becomes who is in this car together, that wherever we are and we're together, that can be enough. And, And that even when he's deployed, it's going to feel like things are off, but at least we're together, that even if we go to grandma's house, even if we go to church or where, even if we're just in the car, that that is home. And so I want to kind of explain to you that that is uh, meaningful. It's kind of sacred to a lot of our military spouses, especially. And those service members, too, actually, let me throw that out, because to them, they live such a transient lifestyle. Um I think when we calculated how many times how many places that Matt has lived um including deployments and trainings for long periods of time um home isn't even the home that we're living in now it is literally wherever the family is and you kind of have to kind of believe that in order to survive this kind of constant chaos and so we're going to get into in the next episode um The difficulty that comes with this lifestyle and how that can shape a person, how trauma can shape a person, the triggers associated with that, um, how the families actually deal with difficulty and how that shapes their character, and I want to be able to give you guys some tips on how you can have those conversations, and more than anything, like kind of arm you up with um, how you can go into the next visit and succeed, because that's really what this comes down to. We all want to see those relationships succeed and have understanding as best as possible so that was the top five things that the community and how the community changes who we are i really want to thank you for what you sacrifice every day um, to let your family member whether it's a son or a daughter um, or a sister or brother um, to go serve their country and serve their community i know that that's a sacrifice for you as well and that this has actually shaped you Um, as well, because this has not been easy to watch that, watch your family member, watch your son or daughter do what they do every day. And so thank you for doing that. Thank you for giving them that permission to live out their calling and do what they love to do. But I do acknowledge that that was a sacrifice on your part as well. So thank you for joining me for today's episode. I hope you'll listen to the next episode where where we will dive a little bit deeper. And again, welcome to the LifeGiver podcast.